Hi, and welcome to The Lonely Triathlete. My name is Todd, and I am The Lonely Triathlete, coming to you live from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, on Sunday, November 26th. Quick training update. I just completed a recovery week. My plan throw these... My plan throw these? My plan throws these? Hmm. Get back to English school, Todd. My plan throws these into my overall training plan every four to six weeks. And they are vital, vital, critical for giving my mind and my body a brief break from all of the training stress that I've been putting on it for the past four to six weeks. So remember, your body improves in response to physical stress. But as it improves, you have to keep finding ways to continue to provide an additional challenge for your systems, which is your muscles, your lungs, heart, etc. Because the old stress of a month ago isn't going to cut it anymore. It's not quite as stressful as it used to be if you've been improving in your fitness. right? And this is a good thing. So it means that you're getting stronger, more endurance, maybe faster, and certainly more resilient, but your body resists all along the way. It does not like the stress that you're applying. This stress costs too much energy, and the body is all about using only as much energy as necessary to ensure survival and procreation. So in response to all this stress you're throwing at it, it adapts. It becomes stronger or more efficient, so as to minimize the energy that you're asking it to consume. And it will continue to adapt up to the point that you create enough chronic stress that it believes its survival is in jeopardy. And then, believe me, your body will stop adapting. It will make you weaker. It will make you sick. It will do whatever it can to stop this insanity right? Because it needs to protect itself. But this is where recovery weeks are so critical in our training because we're stressing it and stressing it and stressing the body, stressing, stressing, improving, getting faster, fitter, right? And just as the body starts to think, ah, this is too much. This person needs to slow it down because I feel threatened for my own survival. You give it a rest, Right? This is the recovery week. You give it just enough of a rest that it relaxes and realizes that it's not in jeopardy, that there is no threat to kill it. So the body resets itself at this new state of, I guess I'll use a big word here, a new state of homogenesis, right? a, new, a new state of normal. So heightened fitness, which is now your new normal. And during this recovery period, You heal from any small injuries that you may have accumulated or even potential injuries in waiting. And your systems start to rebuild. Maybe you were asking 
a lot of minerals and vitamins to come into play. You were asking muscle fibers to tear and rebuild. You're asking for an increased production of mitochondrial, mitochondria, increased production of red blood cells, right? The body's been working and working like a factory to pump out more, more, build this person's fitness, make this person stronger, make them resilient, heal them from these micro injuries that they've been sustaining. So now you reset yourself during this recovery week at this new normal and the body goes, ah, okay, okay. I'm now this kind of a body. I'm this strong. I'm this fast. I'm this, I have this much endurance. I'm this much, I'm this resilient. Okay. So it resets itself. And then you start to stress the system again for another number of weeks. And the body adapts again to this increased stress. And the cycle keeps repeating itself. Isn't it just amazing? I find the body so, it's so incredible. It's so amazing. It's so predictable in a sense. It's like a machine that works a certain way. And I just think it's it, it's so cool. So now on to my main thought of the week. You know, I pride myself in, in keeping an open mind for new information that comes along related to health or fitness or wellness, performance. And with the internet ingrained into our society, we have such access to the latest studies, discoveries, and experiences, emerging science. And it's both a blessing and a curse. The, the blessing, I guess you'd say, is you can be as up-to-date as almost anyone on the latest discoveries, on the latest uh, clinical studies, on the latest results of experiments from exercise physiologists, from nutrition scientists, all across the world, right? From the comfort of your laptop screen. The downside is it, it can be hard to discern the difference between an expert in their field and someone who's just a really good talker, especially in this, in this day and age of social media, just being such an, uh, like a, I would say an important part such an ingrained part, certainly, of our society. Um, and and this, this even goes, I'm not talking about social media, I'm talking about even just books. So in the book publishing world, it used to be, you know, relatively hard to get a book published. You had to demonstrate, if you're going to get a book published in, in on a subject, you had to demonstrate that you knew what you were talking about, you had some expertise in what you were talking about, and that people would be interested enough to buy your book. Now, it seems... Like you only need to convince somebody that people will buy your book. It doesn't matter if you're an expert. It just matters if people will buy what it is that you're selling. And then not even that, because you can self-publish these days. You can self-publish your own book with very minimal financing. But with the right marketing, you can come across as a complete expert in your field. So why is all this top of mind for me? Well, it's because... I was, I think I was almost duped, or I think I was duped into buying a book about nutrition and performance. And I'm starting to come to the conclusion that the author doesn't entirely know what they're talking about. I'm not saying they don't say some true things, or I'm not saying that they don't know a, some of what they're talking about, but they're coming across 
as having almost a unique perspective on something. And it turns out they're not even educated in the field. This person has got degrees in computing science and they're talking about nutrition and performance. Now, that's not to say that you can't accrue expertise or, or knowledge in something that you didn't go to school for. I totally get it. But it, there is a yellow flag being raised when somebody who is not a nutrition, is not like a trained nutrition expert and they don't spend their lives dealing with nutrition, giving you nutrition advice, right? So you, you need to take that with a grain of salt. So again, on the plus side, I think this, this guy is onto a few truths and they are, we aren't getting as many nutrients in the food that we eat as we think we are. Some foods that we've been told are good for us actually contain harmful chemicals. And there are ways that we can work with the way our bodies and minds work to create more beneficial outcomes than we otherwise might have experienced. So I think he's on to something with these observations in his life and in his work. But on the negative side, he seems to be promoting a way of eating and a way of seeing the performance world, which really isn't built upon a consensus of nutritional or biological science, right? It's one thing to say, I think this is the way things work versus this is the way things work. Take my word for it and therefore do this and you'll have guaranteed results. It, that's just too big of a claim to come from a person who, you know, isn't a bona fide expert in this stuff. And I don't have my phone with me or I'd read the Wikipedia, uh, I'll read a Wikipedia paragraph on this guy. But let me tell you, it's really, really interesting. I started to form this opinion. Then I went to Wikipedia and the general consensus is that this person says a lot of things that sound really good, but they're not exactly based on evidence. They're based on like feelings and observation, which is not the same thing as proving that something is actually true. So as I said earlier, there are pros and cons of living in the internet and age. And thankfully, a huge pro is that we can test an individual's ideas with actual experts. And then we can form our own opinion based on a consensus of experts. Now, does this mean that the consensus of experts is always right? No, of course not. But there will always be a greater probability that they're right versus the opinion of one person. If you take 10,000 people that come to a conclusion and you measure that against one person that comes to a different conclusion, is it possible that the one person is right? Of course it's possible. Is it probable that they're right? No, it is not probable. And somehow in our day and age, we've started to listen to the onesies and twosies of people that tell us what we want to hear and not the 10,000 people that tell us the way, you know, in their expert opinion, they think they, the way they think it is. It, uh, it, it's mind boggling to me, mind boggling that, that someone would base an important part of their life, their life on the opinions of one person versus the 
the opinions of many. So I tested some of this author's opinion with, with the expert opinion. And what I discovered is that this person is right in some ways, but the conclusions they draw are probably wrong. So here's the best analogy that I can come up with on short notice. Biologists tell us uh, that yes, uh, arsenic is a poison, right? Arsenic, the chemical arsenic is a poison. Do apple seeds contain arsenic? Yes. Um, like food scientists or anyone that can measure chemicals will tell you apple seeds contain arsenic. So if I come along and write a book and say that it's been proven that apple seeds contain arsenic and arsenic is a poison, and I think that arsenic leaches from the seeds into the meat of the apple. So you shouldn't eat apples because you're essentially consuming arsenic. And we know arsenic is a poison and poisons are bad, right? So hang on a second. Can I, can I, as you sit there listening to me, can I demonstrate to you that the, the meat of the apple does contain arsenic? Well, no, I haven't proven that or shown that at all. But it sort of seems reasonable, right? If there's poison in the seeds of something, and we know that poison is like, you know, can become a liquid and it can leak into things, it stands to reason that this poison leaks into the apple. And since you eat poison and poison is bad, then the apple's bad for you, right? So, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't follow. It just doesn't follow because, um, while I may have demonstrated that arsenic is in the seeds, I haven't proven that the arsenic from the seeds gets into the apple. But here's the big thing. I haven't proven that the amount of arsenic that you might eat in the apple is even harmful to you. There's a part of our brain that says, well, I don't want to, ha I don't want to eat any poison. But we're, we're breathing poisons all the time. Carbon dioxide is a poison. I don't have to go into the list of like things that we just eat and breathe all the time that are poisons. It's the amount of poison that you ingest or the type of poison, the environment that you find the poison in, right? So apples are not poisonous, even though we can trace a poison into the seeds. So sometimes things that sound plausible, they're not necessarily uh, the conclusions that you draw from that aren't exactly, aren't always true, right? Life is complex. So I just, I don't accept everything I hear. I try to find varying opinions. I lean on experts. I admit when I don't know something. And I realize that the actual truth of a claim is more likely than not to lie with the majority opinion. Now, not always, obviously, but on the balance of probability, that's true. So I'm reading this author, I'm reading their book, I'm finding some things that they're saying to be very interesting, and then I test them. And I've gone out and I've researched on my own and found, oh yeah, that is true, that is true. Oh, that's contested. Oh, there's debate about that particular conclusion that this person is drawing. Or that conclusion that the author is drawing it flies completely in the face of what we know in performance science or medical science, right? So I just, 
what I have been thinking about is we should all be encouraged to be skeptical, right? Be skeptical. Don't just accept what someone says to you is true. Go, oh, interesting. I'll take that under advisement. I'll think about that for a bit. I'll do a little bit of research about that, right? Make someone prove something to you based on the balance of probabilities. Just don't take anyone's word for anything. I don't care if that's a politician, a doctor, a coach, a friend, right? You have to be discerning and you have to be skeptical and you have to educate yourself because we live in a world where everybody is saying everything and a lot of it is contradictory. So what is true and what is made up? What's marketing? What's someone trying to sell something? What's someone that's coming at it from a political angle or a power angle? We just don't know these days. You need to be more skeptical and more uh, slow to come to an opinion than ever before. So that way, if you do it that way, your likelihood of being duped, like I was kind of being invited to be duped by this author, and in all defense of them, I haven't finished reading their books, and maybe they redeem themselves at some point. But my my likelihood of being duped is significantly reduced because I'm questioning. I'm questioning the statements. I'm questioning the conclusions. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Let me look more into that. Well, whether you think I'm being duped or not, please drop me a note. Drop me a note at thelonelytriathlete at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. All right, until next time, peace. Thank you.